For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 706 on CJAD 800. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Hello, Josh. Hello. How are you this week? I am excellent. Great. And uh, on the program this week, we're going to talk food with Kim Lalouze from Prêt à Manger, Miss Prêt à Manger, and she'll be coming up shortly on the program. Uh, but first, as usual, perhaps uh, we'll take some time uh, to take a look at some of the entrepreneurial uh, items in the news this week. And uh, should we begin with uh, perhaps some news about Netflix? Netflix, uh, well, I, they're, they're expanding. You know, we hear a lot of entrepreneurs expand beyond the borders of Canada uh, Netflix, as we know, I mean, it's 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 in so many areas, but now they're moving to the islands. I think it's Cuba or somewhere yeah, in the Cuba. Caribbean. And uh, but I guess the the story here is you really got to know your market when you're going elsewhere. I mean, Netflix operates on monthly buys. You know, you submit your credit card and or your debit card or whatever you're going to do, and they just kind of automatic withdrawal every month. Well, in Cuba or in perhaps some areas of the world that are a little more suspect, perhaps credit cards aren't so uh, above board. So they really have to know the market and they have to prepare themselves and make sure that whatever credit cards they get given for the for the local population actually goes through. Otherwise, they're going to be losing a lot of money. For local entrepreneurs, have you ever seen uh, just entire new markets open up because of uh, you know lifting sanctions, stuff like that? Do, do you have any advice for people looking maybe to get into business in Cuba? Oh, the, <laughs> business in Cuba. Well, at least we're not in the in the United States. Otherwise, that would be a difficult topic. Mm. But Cuba, listen, it, if there's a market there, there's certainly a lot of tourism. I don't know much about the Cuban market other than you know they have some really good cigars and some beautiful beaches. Uh, food not so good, but we're going to fix that here when we talk with Kim later. Uh, but bottom line is, anytime you're venturing out into an external or a foreign market you got to do your homework and your and the best advice i can give is find the right local partner because the local partner the local person on the ground is the one that's going to know all the ins and outs you can have all the rules and regulations and laws you want but if you don't know how to work it on the ground you're dead Let's uh, get into another story that's kind of interesting. Uh, who would have thought that the Canada Revenue Agency would be making mistakes? That never happens. Uh, but there's quite a few mistakes, according to the CBC. Uh, and a survey found that uh, a lot of its call center workers are giving bad advice to people. How do you, how do you know that, uh, that what uh, Canada Re Revenue Canada tells you is, is really what you should be doing with your taxes? You know, the reality is that the general, you know, Joe and Jane taxpayer that is not sure of the rule and don't have their own professional accountant, uh, you know, to pay the really smart dollars that they should pay to their accountant, not self-serving, uh, is, you know, they call up the government and the government is supposed to be very forthcoming and be very knowledgeable about all the laws in place, what they can use and what they can take advantage of. Now, there are certainly different stats out there, but the latest one that, that I read that you're referring to says that one quarter of all information and answers given to the taxpayers that call up CRA, that call up Revenue Canada, are incorrect. Uh, now, that, you know, that may not seem like a lot to some, but it, it's quite a big difference. Now, what are they answering or what are they not answering properly? Uh, there's a multitude of questions, but as a Canadian taxpayer paying tax dollars, if you're if you're if you can't get the right answer on the phone when you're calling, there's something wrong. Now I understand CRA Canadian government is trying to fix it all and trying to educate people, although they might have to just do something a little bit better, a little bit faster. 
Interesting piece in the Gazette uh, in the past week about uh, the evolution of retail, and uh, they profile a futurist named Doug Stevens, who's in Montreal, to, to give a, a talk about the future of retail. Um, what, what do you see uh, as the future of retail? We, we saw one kind of cool evolution, uh, you know, the, the sort of, um, what was it, uh, Amazon, I think, where they're going to have these uh, virtual display where you could sort of try on the clothes virtually without sure. trying them on? There, I, I think the future of retail is quite varied, and I think it really depends on on what sector you're in. You see a lot of, you know, we we've had discussions about online versus bricks and mortar stores, and the, and conclusively, they both came up with, you know, both are important. You can create an online brand, but will it really become something if you don't have a physical location where people can go and touch and do? You know, if Gucci or or uh, Louis Vuitton were only online, you couldn't go to an actual store, would they be the brands that they are today? I'm not so sure. So what is the future? The future is, there's no question, there's, there's going to be a combination of physical presence and technology all rolled up into one. I'll add to that. It's not the product itself that's going to drive people to their stores. It's going to be, why are they going? Why should they do business with this company? You know, why do people buy Apple? They buy Apple because Apple makes this phenomenal product. They want to simplify individuals' lives. You can get a smartphone anywhere. Why go to Apple? Because they did it right and they explained, they taught the people that they're not doing, they make the product, but they do it because they believe that it's the right, best way to go for the individual. Here's a quote from uh, the Gazette, uh, Douglas Stevens, a so-called retail prophet, and he says that media in all of its forms, whether uh, on an ad or mobile device or on a TV screen, is coming alive with technology and actually becoming direct portals to purchase. Um, so that's interesting. Is the evolution now that, the, that you can buy stuff directly in the ad? Uh, there's no listen te as i said before technology is going to meet physical presence you are definitely going to be able listen you can already already buy stuff uh you know the ads on the on the side of the screen and the the banner ads or whatever you call them i'm not the techie but there are certain products and, that you actually want to go feel and touch and do and some of them are price point issues and some of them are just you know i i like i really like that couch but you know, do I need to go look at it and feel it and sit on it to know if it's going to be the right buy for me? Absolutely. Once you've investigated, you might go online to make sure all the specifications are okay and measure and price it, but there's still a place for everything. The, the future is, as far as I'm concerned, at least the foreseeable future, a combination of technology and physical presence. And speaking of retail, yet another one bites the dust. Parasuco is going to close uh, their stores, uh, laying off its staff. They're going to go online. Uh, seven stores in Canada, including, of course, a flagship store here in Montreal. Wow, tough times for uh, for clothing retailers in town. There, There's no question about it. And, and, and Parasuco, I mean, I don't know how many people were in the know, but from the few people or the number of people that I've spoken to, uh, you know, last Friday, it, it was a bit of a shock. They didn't realize that they were absolutely, you know, absolutely closing their doors. It kind of happened all at once. I'm looking at Kim going, no way, I can't believe they closed. Um, but it's, but it's absolutely wild. Uh, and is it a sign of, uh, of the things, times that are out there? There's no question. There are things that are happening. There are, you know, behind the scenes, there are nervous banks out there. Sometimes, you know, right now, retailers, this is a very quiet time of the year. Do banks get overly anxious and overly nervous this time of year? Are owners forced to pull the plug prematurely because they don't have the support from their financiers? There's a lot of factors at play here. Now, Parasuco, they understand a little bit because they might have closed their retail stores, but their online is still open you mm -hmm. can still buy online 
maybe there'll be distributors a little bit more. So there are certainly ways around it. And as we said before, as we keep saying with retail, it's the right mix of technology and physical presence. Parasuko, Mex, uh, Jacob, I think. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, are we going to get to the point where downtown, you think, will be just free of, of clothing retailers? <laughs> uh, no, it'll never be free of clothing retailers. We all have to kind of dress ourselves. Not everybody, <laughs> uh, you know, looks like, uh, well, you know, you and our guests with those spelled figures were on radio. But uh, but everybody, everybody, you know, will always want to look good, will always want to feel good. You're always going to have retailers. You're always going to have clothing retailers. People are going to want to shop for clothes. They're going to want to buy presents for their, their spouses or their kids. You're going to have it. The question is, are there going to be as many? And, and what are the choices and why are people going to go into those stores? Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD will begin a profile with Kimberly Luz of Miss Prêt-à-Manger after the break at 7.15. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Seven nineteen on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you, and let's introduce our guest, Kimberly Lelouz of Miss Pet Manger. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you. So, Josh. <laughs> the the easiest question of the evening is the, fir the first one, is uh, tell me about yourself and about Miss Prêt-à-Manger. I guess you are Miss Prêt-à-Manger. I guess I could be, yes. Uh, Miss Prêt-à-Manger is a multitude of things, but in essence, it's um, a local catering company that believes in conscious cooking. So we think about that all the way from uh, purchasing to production and selling back to the client. So we have eco-wise containers. We only work with ocean-wise fish. Uh, we try to stick to local and organic as much as possible. Uh, throughout the four seasons of the year. So Now, where did this start? Where was your history? What was your background? And what <laughs> propelled you into this? It started when I was four in the basement <laughs> of my parents' house with a, a line of Easy Bake Ovens. It was like my favorite thing. I just wanted to cook for other people and feed other people. And uh, I pretty much shied away from it for almost all my life. I always had one foot um, in the restaurant industry. So that, you know, by ways of being a waitress or a bartender, manager, what have you, while I stayed in school, um, then jumped into uh, a career in fashion, which I thought was really fun and entertaining and inspiring and, and difficult and challenging and all those things. But, um, you know, came uh, full circle, I guess you can say, and decided at uh, 28 to, uh, you know, jump in with two feet to the one industry that I love the most, which is food. Now, you were, you worked in restaurants, you worked with food all your life, you weren't you weren't shied away from the fact that oh it's a tough business and and I can't believe all that all that can go wrong. I put it this way, I totally traded in my high heels and you know carry on for a hairnet and a kitchen apron. Like it's not it's not a glamorous industry, especially not the way that I decided to go about it, which was build it from scratch at a pace that I could handle. Uh, one of my favorite terms is organic growth because it's kind of like a double meaning in my business, but I really do feel that this business uh, this little little place that I've created really grew in a very organic way. So you just I just bit off what I could chew as I went along and you know started off as the as the chef and the the server, the dishwasher, <laughs> the purchaser, the everything and then as as we grew we just got more and more in place. Now, before you went into this, before you jumped in two feet, did you have a specific plan in mind? Were you thinking two, three, five years out or were you thinking, no, let me get through this day or week or month and then move on from the next? Full disclosure, I guess. Um, yeah, absolutely. You, you guys like the good, the bad, and the ugly on the show, I've heard. So I guess... Uh, 
you know, at the time I was in a really bad place financially for whatever reason. I had had a, a, a bad ending to my run in fashion. And I can't tell you the motivation uh, that, are, that you can find behind that when you find yourself, you know, in your 20s, definitely driven, focused, ready to get out there. You learn quickly that nobody's going to hand it to you. You definitely have to make it for yourself, uh, regardless of your of your family or your history or whatever. And um, that propelled me into where I am today, which, again, in the way I see it is it's a little bleep on the map still. But I try very, you know, my my very best. And so do all the people that I'm lucky to work with to give it everything that we have, passion and whatnot. So, yeah. And and Dan, you know, we, we don't hear too often about entrepreneurs starting off taking small bites. We hear a lot, you know, I have this idea, I want to jump out, I'm going to go whole hog. Here we take a little bit of, of, of small bites at a time, no pun yeah. intended, with the delicious food that she's brought, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and when we come back, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the progression behind Miss Prêt-à-Manger and, of course, what's beyond that. Kimberly Lalouz of Miss Prêt-à-Manger, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Seven twenty-five. Welcome back to today's entrepreneur. Our guest this evening is Kimberly Laluz, Miss Pet à Manger. And uh, so, tell us about why you wanted to get into food. Maybe uh, what was your uh, what made you want to make the switch from from passion to food? Again, just the, this utter need to feed people around me. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I think it's definitely growing up uh, with the family that I grew up with. I mean, my grandmother was cooking. My father has a. My father and mother both have over 10 brothers and sisters, so a big family, you can say, and with that comes a lot of food. So I just found myself in the kitchen quite a bit. Now, before we left, you said you were, you, you're taking small steps, organic small steps. When you're yeah. launching your first, <laughs> what is the first thing that you do out of the, out of the gate? Josh, I can, I, can, I can assume that if you don't really have anything financially to build off, the only way to go is to, is to just kind of take it and, and roll with it. So I started off literally by printing out business cards at Bureau go, I'm scared. I'm going to tell everybody all my secrets out there. <laughs> oh, me... I think people know that Beyond Girl <laughs> I know, does I'm... business cards. Yes, they well, do. We won't call it staples here. Yeah. That's not good. Sorry. We'll call it Beyond Girl. <laughs> so it was really just a matter of believing in myself and quietly getting through what I needed to get through because I was... Uh, very much swayed in the opposite direction. Nobody wants to see their child, their sister, their best friend, quote unquote, slaving in the kitchen or whatever. But you cannot take somebody away from what they love. So basically, I started off with the business cards. Um, I I basically f grew the nerve to walk into a couple of offices and offer my services. Was it difficult to get that first customer? The first customer, uh, food speaks for itself. So I can I have to say that that part was probably easier than the bank. The banks were not easy. I, I, you know, thankfully having studied in uh, marketing and having some really good friends in financial advising and whatnot, I was able to put together like a really good business plan, uh, pro forma projections, all the fancy pants paperwork that the banks want to see when they give you money. But too tough to sell it. Too tough to sell it. Uh, the minute that I had written restaurant on that offer, I mean, I had, I think I had gone to my fifth bank and sat in the car, cried my eyes out, going like, "Why isn't anybody giving me a chance? I don't even want that much money, you know." But um, so, what finally worked? Catering. I mean, I had to just kind of listen to what the bank people were saying, and they kept on repeating, you know, this year we've had a, an increase of forty percent increase of of bankruptcies in Montreal. Which, P.S. is that even shocking to anybody here? Because, like, as you were just talking about retail, we have more restaurants per square capita, I think, mm -hmm. in New York now. 
So it, like it's a lot. They got to close and other ones open. But anyway, so that at that year, a few years back, it was even harder for that. So I kind of revised the whole plan, uh, gave up on the restaurant dream to start and just kind of fine tuned it to really be corporate catering focused. And it worked. So was the bank right at the end of the day to go with catering too? The bank was wrong to not support me as a restaurateur. Uh, the BDC ended up doing that. But uh, in terms of catering, I guess, you know, like I said, it was really shocking because when I had approached the banks, even though there was going to be like a teeny weeny little restaurant in my catering, we had a stable income, uh, you know, between uh, whatever, good a good amount that shouldn't really have. It should have been like, oh, yeah, you guys are doing great here. Let me help you push you along the way. And I mean, you know, it was a woman under 30 and like, uh, physically, the lines on the map were like, I wasn't able to go and get some of these um, loans and bursaries that the province was offering. So it was legit like a matter of meters away from me. So I mean, at the time, I kept thinking, if I can get through this with all these challenges that have been thrown my way, then, you know, I felt kind of like I could maybe just kind of do whatever I want to try and do. You touched upon something quickly, and I'm going to ask maybe a sensitive question, but you'll bear with me. <laughs> uh -oh. What do you find that, did you get the reaction you did because you were young and female? You know, I'd have to say from the bank per se, not um, not necessarily. I would think that yes, for sure, there's definitely a, a double take sometimes. Um, it's just, uh, <laughs> to be honest, it can be challenging on a day to day. It's still, I still Do you have, have to overcome. Do you overcome today yeah, because of that? I don't dwell on it when I'm treated. Uh, I would. I don't want to say not as an equal, but when I there's definitely some unfairness. I had a situation this morning. We don't have to get into that, but yeah. So sometimes it, it can be a little shocking that you can still be undermined or, or um, intimidated, or, or people can try at least to to kind of make you feel like you uh, are not good enough because you're a young lady. Do you have any partners? They'll say. Do they look at you like really? <laughs> Yeah, uh, really. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and that, that's something that you have to overcome. But certainly confidence, if you exude it and you have the right com and you have the right product and you have the right service, that, as you said at the, at the outset, when you're first selling your right client, will sell itself. More to come. Uh, there's some fascinating story. Let's continue after the break. Kimberly Lalou is Miss Pentamanger with us uh, this evening on Today's Entrepreneur at 7.30. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.35, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest is Miss Pentamanger, Kimberly Lalouz. And uh, Kimberly, let's talk a bit about marketing. How do you get you uh, your brand out there? What, what, what kind of marketing techniques have you used since you started? Well, first you practice your radio voice. And then you get invited to <laughs> <laughs> and Joshua. I'm kidding. We, we I've been teasing you guys time. so much on break. But yeah, I, I can't get over your voices. It's fantastic. We practice in front of the mirror together. My, my radio yeah. voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So how did I do the marketing? Basically, it's all about word of mouth. Uh, once again, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. the way that I see it is this, the food speaks for itself. And I'm, I'm not actually a big fan of um, legitimate advertising per se. Like I like to do, I'll pick up a, a fundraiser, for example, and do it for free due to trade off of visibility so it's kind of like a double whammy you know you you get to do something good for the community or whichever community they're fundraising for and then provide food and get yourself known so literally from day one it was a question of cooking for people having them taste the food sending them some samples um 
that's the kind of marketing technique that I've uh, adopted. And I, I did the same in fashion for a little while. So I've seen it kind of work across the board. You know, I, I my ex-boss used to spend big dollars on, uh, uh, you know, billboards and magazines and newspapers and whatever. And I was one day, I was just like, how about we send out some product, you know? And it took a little bit longer than expected. And I remember he was very not happy with me. <laughs> he was a little nervous. And I just I would go home every night going like, oh, my God, can somebody put those damn jeans on, <laughs> you know, like feel them, touch them, live them. And then it just happened one one second and it just started selling. So same, same for food. Um, really, it's a question of, you know, sending out a buffet. There's 20 people there. Maybe one of those people needs food on another day. And it's a lot of charity stuff. At, well, the charity stuff is more of like uh, more of in terms of marketing budget. So I'll, I'll give myself a certain budget a year and, and you know, case by case decide on how I want to dispense of that budget. Whereas, you know, the the free marketing behind word of mouth advertising by ways of people tasting your food. And it's about community, community give back is also kind of community give back is huge for us. I mean, we do a lot of stuff and we don't talk about it very much because we really we think that's like the coolest way. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, hopefully we can come back on the show in maybe six months time or, or something thereafter and share with you a big project that we're working on right now. Awesome. Now, what about, I mean, we've been talking at the beginning of the show, we were talking about online, uh, you know, the social media, you want to get out. Do you still engage in that? Do you still, I know, I know the food speaks for itself. I get that. Absolutely. I'm tasting it. Absolutely. But what about the online marketing? You know, the online marketing kind of just r reminds people that you're there. Uh, there's definitely a power of seeing visuals on a daily basis. I have to tell you, I might piss off some people out there, but I'm not a fan of paying for online marketing. So I, and what I mean by that, if I can just expand, mm -hmm. is that I don't believe in like buying Facebook ads. I don't necessarily believe in paying somebody $500 a month to take some pictures that I've taken and post them in a really smart kind of way. I don't I don't believe in that. I've never done it. I've always done it myself. Um, and I try to like, you know, have an employee or two or three that kind of know how to do it too and share with me the same desire to actually share with people what we're up to. Uh, we don't we don't make it excessive. We just try and keep it informative. And I, I, I'd like to believe that people are not tired of seeing uh, pictures of food or, you know, again, our flyers are like to a minimal. I try and keep them engaged. So it's like right before lunch or during lunch, I'll post a picture, not in hopes that they'll show up that day on that moment but just to be like yeah this looks so good <laughs> i'm gonna eat it now don't you want to eat it too and it's really up to them thereafter like how they want to go about it now you start with catering and and you said you wanted to open a restaurant you always wanted to the natural evolution is to right. go from catering to right. restaurant well so what happened there? <laughs> okay that was very much uh again an organic growth so uh i worked i got myself a job as a head head chef of a catering company because i had never really cooked for more than 20 or 30 people and i i don't know if i've told you guys but i'm not culinary trained so this was all obviously a big feat for me to like you know 50 people is a lot when you don't really now we do you know 1500 2000 whatever crazy numbers that even at Rogers Cup, but at the time it was like oh, 50 people, how? So um, basically from that job, I had been serving not such great quality food uh, to daycares. And the second business that I opened right off the bat was Petite Miss Prête à Manger, um, which is uh, currently at capacity until we move somewhere or expand the kitchen. And that is really solely based on feeding children food that's not processed. Um, from I'm, I have yet to find another caterer who, who, who services CPEs with their really small budgets. Daycares. Daycares, exactly, with food, uh, you know, a morning snack, afternoon snack and then full full meal at, at noon so that's what I call my passion project we don't really make any money with that um, it's very near and dear to my heart and I really hope to expand it 
100% was inspired by Jamie Oliver. Definitely inspired by my little sister uh, who was going to school in, in private schools and unable to have a decent, uh, fresh meal on a regular basis to keep her sustained throughout the day. Um, but you, you still had this love. You wanted to open yeah. a restaurant. You came a, li well, a little bit there. working there. <laughs> so so continue. Yes. I'm interrupting. That's really Not at all. I just mean, I just, yeah, blah, blah. So after after the Petite Miss Pret, then came the tennis thing. So that was kind of like another expansion of Miss Pret à Manger that does um, large sporting events, namely my favorite one, the Rogers Cup. Um, and just to you know, get to your question a little sooner. Miss Pret on Blurry was not meant to be a restaurant. It was really catering and a takeout spot. And I had a table for like four or something or two. And I remember thinking, oh, here, I'll invite some of my catering clients to sample new new dishes throughout the season, throughout the year, and see if I can like, you know, show them what it's going to be, whatever. And two people came to sit and then four people. And I was like, do you have more seats? Do you have more, you know? And mm -hmm. it just literally went from six seats to 12 and then we had capacity and thankfully uh, not that i wish anybody to go under but the neighbor next door closed and uh there i found my extra my extra my extra 1500 square feet of space to uh, move into very different running a catering company and opening a licensed restaurant yeah yeah what's very. what <laughs> lots of challenges in yeah, the what's licensed the first big step to do with that another business plan pro forma <laughs> projections loan and all that stuff but and really, banks and financing and, banks, and, banks. and financing yeah i have to say i've been lucky to have a few like non-mentor mentors around at the time to help me kind of go along my path but Again, restaurant being having worked in them, it wasn't so scary. It was a little bit less scary than for somebody who may have never opened a restaurant and had been in the restaurant, uh, sorry, catering business. Um, put it this way, Josh, we've been living growing pains since the day that we started. We every year, every year I, I've opened a new business, so it's been four years, four companies, and this is year five. I already have business number five in the <laughs> works, um, and uh, you know. You can only achieve that if you build a team and you build a solid team. So the nature of the restaurant business is a high turnover. The nature of the catering company is less of that. And then when you have your offices and whatnot, you really want to have a stable team, a core team that you can rely on to do, you know, everything that you're doing and then some. So I've only achieved that in the last few months. So tough to find your team. I mean, how, how many people are you today? I've got, I've got uh, 28 people, 25 to 20 people full time right now. How did you find them and how do you keep that right? How do you get the right fit? How do you keep that culture? Firstly, you have to be a really good person. <laughs> no, uh, you have to. As you are. <laughs> you, uh, you know what? I'd, I'd say that part of it is searching, part of it is luck, and part of it is being able to recognize the right people when you find them and knowing how to make sure, make sure that they're happy, that you have a respectful relationship between you know boss and employee and make sure that your employees respect each other. And it's a never-ending fine-tuning game of making sure that everybody's happy, really. Now, you started from scratch. You kind of do it all yourself. How in the world are you able to delegate to your team? Do you find it easy to do so? Was it difficult? What were you? How were you able to do that? Well, that's it. You learn. You learn how to delegate. There's a certain amount of control that you. I don't want to say you lose control, but by delegating, you're like in essence trusting all these people. So sometimes it can go really poorly by you know delegating something to someone that you thought could handle it, and they just you know they don't do so good about it, and. Um, then you can delegate something and then you'd be amazed and surprised at how phenomenally they'll do it. And then that same person might not continue on that path. All I can tell you is that you just have to really be 
uh, you have to try. You have to be aware. You have to you uh, not use people. You you know uh, let people use their, their strengths, strengths yeah. and and try to eliminate them doing anything that is not something that they love. Something you know one of their weaknesses. You just maybe don't have them do that. Do you find? Did you find yourself kind of hovering over people at the beginning? Do you let I them was... go? Do you let them? You give them enough rope to kind of hang themselves or or go I was, with it? I, I would have to say I was more of a dictator at the beginning, and I'm more of a delegator now. Uh, I was maybe a little bit scary at the first couple of years, and I, you know, I apologize to all of those out there that have lived through that. But <laughs> there's only so much I can say about doing it on your own and really trying super hard to, you know, do a really good job and kind of fake it till you make it and keep up this persona of like, oh, I have a whole company when really you're you know cooking in your house in your underwear which is not what i just said but something along those lines <laughs> it's radio so it's okay um anyway so bottom line you just get a good team and make sure that you guys all understand each other and communicate well all right we'll talk about hr with michelin mayette to fuller landau next josh and uh, kimberly laluz with her one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur also on the way 745 <laughs> For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD 800. Our profile is Kim Lelouz from uh, Miss Prêt à Manger. And we'll also bring in Micheline Mayette. She is an HR specialist with Fuller Landau. Welcome back, Micheline. So, Josh, human relations. Resources? Resources. Human resources. resources. Human resources. You know... Uh, last week on the show, Dan, we had kind of 2015 trends for marketing. Well, there, there's no doubt, you know, human resources, it, it changes often. We have a lot of generations. There's no doubt about that. And there's certain aspects that kind of come into the forefront. So we'll turn to Michelin with her many years of experience and uh, and ask Michelin, coming to 2015, 2015, this, this new year that's maybe not so new anymore, what do you see as on the forefront of challenges for entrepreneurs, what they should should they really become aware of? What they should they start handling? Well, one thing, if they haven't done it yet, is social media, having some kind of policy for employees on social media. It's something we've been talking about for a long time, but I find a lot of companies don't have anything out there yet. Um, for a lot of companies, they just think, okay, we're going to ban social media in the office. And like they just cut off you know, some of the more popular websites and they figure they've handled it. Um, but the fact is that, you know, people go on social media outside of office hours, too. And that's often when they can get into the most trouble is when they're not at work. And on their mobile phones. Yes, definitely. Because now people can go, you know, anytime, anywhere on social media. Um, and so people have to be conscious. A lot of people think because I'm posting on my own social media site, I can say whatever I want. Um, but once there's a tie with a certain employer, like if it's if it's known that they work for a certain place and they're expressing certain opinions or certain opinions about their office or their, you know, the company they work for, um, then they do have to understand there's consequences that could, that could occur with this. I remember a story way back when at Fuller Landau, there was a guy that posted, I'm sitting here at my desk, bored, doing nothing. Now, why <laughs> would Josh? you put that on social? It wasn't me. <laughs> why would you put that on social media when people are looking? Ooh. But, yeah. but on the flip side of that coin, with with all the social media activity that employers do and their throwback Thursdays and all the pictures, the you also have to be aware of privacy issues mm -hmm. and and employees that that may or may not want their picture on on a social media website of the firm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if there's companies that do have uh, their own Facebook or LinkedIn page where they're posting pictures, um, you know, usually just it's it's more of a courtesy. First of all, you always make sure 
you know, the type of pictures you're posting shows your employees in their best light. Um, but also you should always give them the option if they don't want to be on the site, they can let you know so that you won't post anything, any pictures of them or that you will re retract any pictures that they're unhappy with. Now, beyond social media, and we know it's a hot topic and we can probably spend a whole show just on that and, and, and all the policy manuals, what else is there? What are the, some of the challenges that, that entrepreneurs should look at from a human resource standpoint? Uh, from a more compliance perspective, uh, there's the 1% training law. Um, you know, every year people are right now, they're doing their releve one summaries for their payroll for the end of the year. And so, you know, any company that has over a million dollars in payroll knows they have to fill out that little number the where they say how much they've spent on training and that it has to be at least 1% of their salary mass. Um, so a lot of companies just go and they fill in, you know, the number. They know they've done training throughout the year, so they figure they've, they've reached the 1%. Uh, but we all know the government is trying to get more and more money into their coffers. So over the past year, one thing that we noticed was there was more and more audits by Revenue Quebec. They seem to be uh, spending more time looking at the company's documentation when it comes to backing up what they've done in terms of training. So I would just tell companies to make sure that they, they document everything properly. It's not just a question of counting up the number of hours or dollars especially if they do internal training, they really have to document and plan the training and show that they've planned it properly in order for it to be eligible. Really not difficult to just, just take the time to do it and document it properly. Exactly. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. We'll have a Kimberly Lelouz's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. That's next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. And we'll have uh, Kimberly Lelouz's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a moment. But first, talking HR issues with Micheline Mayette and uh, things to look forward to or maybe issues coming up in 2015 when it comes to HR, Micheline? Well, I, I think, you know, there, there's so many things that, that come out. And we were talking, listen, we were talking about stores closing and, and, the, and you know, the implications and people wondering. So, you know, e even I think communication is probably got to be near the top of the list you got to always communicate you got to always keep your people uh i guess on tabs not maybe with with private issues but certainly keeping them in the loop can't hurt no of course not like definitely communicate i, I like i believe a lot in transparency a lot of companies say they're transparent um but for me transparency is sharing you know the good the bad and the ugly so i think a lot of companies want to only communicate the good to the employees but i think when something's not going the way you want it to go, employees can sense it or know it. It makes them more insecure than if you just would speak to them and let them know this is what's happening. We're not happy with it, but this is what we're doing to correct it. I think that's much more, it, it gives much more security to a team of employees than, uh, than just not saying anything at all. Kim, now that you're not, <clears throat> now that you're not delegating and you're kind of involving, now that you're not dictating. What are you going to say though? No, I want to know, do you, do you, do you include, do you, do you tell your team what's going on and, Absolutely. and, and do they have input? How, how transparent are you? I am maybe sometimes a little too transparent. <laughs> it's radio. It's okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I basically, now we have a new like system in place. So we'll do more of like the manager meeting thing and then, you know, then have like the big group meetings and have that trickle down, which has been around for eons, but we <laughs> didn't really do that before. So it's working out really nicely, actually. Uh, but I think it's super, super important to let people know when they're not doing what you think, especially when you're somebody like me who has like really high expectations. And I always do that whole hand thing. Like I'm, a, I'm waiting for you up here 
do you want to meet me up here <laughs> or do you want to stay over there? And like, don't really go down all the way down. I'll just go a little bit down so that they don't feel so bad. But, you know, try and motivate them to try and do their job better and want to do it better. And Michelin, just quickly, is are generational differences still an issue? Is it still on the table? Well, yes, I would say there's still generational issues. I mean, the workforce still has different generations in it, but I'd say... I mean, if you look back, the older generations, they had more, you know, it was more the boss is the boss and they can know what they want to know and they don't have to tell us stuff. It was more accepted. It didn't mean that they didn't want to know what was going on, but maybe they, you know, weren't, they didn't request it or demand it as much. Whereas today, people want to know what's happening. It's very important. If they're not communicating, people get frustrated and they're more uh, ready to voice their opinion, also voice their discontent, which I find is also an advantage sometimes because... With previous generations, it would be hard to know if they weren't happy about something because they wouldn't say it, whereas today they're much more vocal if there's something they're unhappy about. So in my opinion, it's actually easier to fix things when people are more vocal. Managing and commuting, communicating with your people, I mean, as long as you're talking to them, that that's good. You have to be able to take it also, right? Mm -hmm. So like as a business owner, I find it really ironic how people can have all these demands or dictate as you say, Josh, or whatever. But if a good boss, a good delegator will be there to listen as much as you will to decide what these people need to do, right? So I, and it hurts sometimes for sure. It, 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 it hurts, but it can, it's good. Now, as we come <laughs> as we come to our last uh, few seconds of the show, we'll turn to, to our guest, Kimberly Laluz and Miss prêt manger and say, Kim, what would be your one piece of advice to today's entrepreneur? Oh, a quick, quick shout out to my cute little Lucas and Zevi. Um, basically, you know, I don't want to say that whatever, but what I would say is get out while you can. No, I'm kidding. Um, you, you would think everybody would say something along the same lines, which is follow your passions. For me, in my, in my circumstance, I would say don't. If you think that people are going to sway you to not do it, don't talk about it. Go with what you want to do. It's your life. It's your choice. So stick to what you love, you know, and it's, you're going to wake up every day and be super happy that you're doing it. Awesome. And Dan, the, the quick, quick takeaway for me is entrepreneurs that realize when it's time to delegate and when it's time to focus on what you do best and let others do, do what they do best. I think that's key in any entrepreneurial success. Thank you, Josh. We'll see you back here next Monday night at 7. Thanks to Michelin Mayette, HR specialist at Fuller Lando. Uh, two weeks from now, sorry, two Mondays from now. And of course, Kimberly Lelouz from Miss Prêt à Manger. Thanks so much for coming in, Kimberly. Thank you, guys. It was so much fun. <laughs> CJAD 800. It's 8 o'clock. The Exchange is next.